Hello all, welcome to the Lunar Seaspire Cartoon Fan Podcast. This is episode 440, and today we'll be talking about reaching out from the Owl House. I'm GC13. I'm Soren. And I'm desperately pasting the summary for this episode into ChatGPT. I'm David. So it's always nice when we get to have an episode with some light content, right guys? Wrestling episode, nothing sad happens in this one. I didn't cry, did you? No, this is a totally normal episode that's completely lighthearted and full of filler and has no emotional impacts whatsoever. So uh, just in case there's anyone who hasn't watched the episode recently, uh, let me give you the brief... (laughs) Let me give you the brief summary. It starts off with Luz trying desperately to distract herself from some notification that her phone's giving her. She, she explains to Ida and King that she's going through some stuff right now. Uh, what's going on, actually, is that this is the anniversary of her father's death, and this is a special day she has with her mother that she can't be there with her. So she's just looking to keep herself busy, and Amity comes in with a problem that might keep them distracted all day. So they run off to the Bonesboro Brawl so that Amity doesn't have to go to the Emperor's Coven tryouts. And the Mighty Mittens performs. But Luz, not feeling distracted enough by watching the Mighty Mittens ring out contender after contender, goes to participate herself. All while Ida and King are trying to create a blabbermouth potion for Warden Wrath to find out what he knows about Rain and Bellus's plans. Why Warden Wrath specifically? Did they explain that? Because Ida thinks he's enough of a sucker? He was standing around? Well, he's there, and he's a fairly high-ranking person who should know about what's going on in the castle, unless, I don't know, he were to eat lunches that weren't his and get fired. But what are the odds of that happening? Listen, he's too busy packing his kids' lunches. (laughs) He's like one of the coolest designs in this show, so they gotta bring him back. The whole weird eye mask that he gets called out on in this episode is continually amazing it's always a little intimidating when he takes it off and you see those little fierce yellow eyes so yes tiny eyes edric joins the bad girl coven helping out a powerless ida collect the ingredients for this blabbermouth potion although he does botch the potion by adding fire bee honey turning warden wrath into a hideous monster but they're able to fix everything, and Ida finds out a little something. She finds out that the, maybe the Day of Unity won't be so great after all. But that's not all that happens during the climax of this episode. Luz is so distracted by her uh, attempt to distract herself so that she kind of messes things up for Amity a bit, so she kind of runs off. At Luz explains the emotional nature of the day to her, and uh, Amity goes off and, you know, fights the hideous warden wrath monster with her father, who was at first having none of her assistance, but uh, trust me, warden wrath is kind of a monster when he's a monster, so he needed her help, and they were able to hold him down long enough for Ida to land the killing blow with Luz's assistance. Yeah, thank God he softened up a bit. I was worried that this was just going to make Alador a complete loser, (laughs) but, uh, you know, he's still carrying, or still trying to tiptoe that balance between He's married to his wife, and he has this daughter. <laughs> like, yes. And so he's trying to accommodate Amity and hear her out. And he promises to talk to Odalia about the hair. Yeah. So it's, you know, I, I can't really categorize it as sweet, though. Like, it's not. <laughs> like, he's a mediocre dad. 
it's like a sign that there is an actual loving father in there, and he's not sure how to express it. It's like Amity said. It's a start. He goes in for the hug, she gives him the handshake. Yeah, that, that I think that's also, like, you know there's people in the writer's room who've, like, had to amend really bad relationships with their parents over time. Because it's, like, it's one of the more complicated adult things to do because you know a lot of you know there are people who have like parents that they you know always kind of got along with and who are just general very good parents and then you have people who just had absolutely garbage like irredeemable abusive parents but there's a lot of people in the middle who just like had pretty maybe toxic maybe unhealthy maybe just overall not like not great all the time relationships with their parents but now they're getting older and as adults want to like continue to have a relationship and work on the things that have happened when they were younger. So it's a very mature, nuanced approach to the sort of child-parent relationships with Amity and her parents that I thought was, like, really cool to see. So Alador showed up and spoiled that fight. Do you think the Mighty Mittens could have taken out not Warden Wrath? Wait, do you mean, do you think Warden Wrath with the potion? Unpotioned Warden Wrath. Oh, unpotioned for sure. Yeah, he he's not nearly as intimidating as he looks. It might have been close, but yeah. Yeah, because Alador totally like treated him like a chump. No thanks, I already have one. When uh, when the, uh, it's so good to see the uh, Demon Hunter getting work. Yeah, I, I, at this point in the show, it feels like all the protagonists, Lumini, uh, <laughs> but both of them. <laughs> They they kind of just do whatever now. Like, both of them tear apart the competition in this brawl. So I guess you're just supposed to accept that they've been really training a lot and they've been through some hard stuff already. But it's crazy seeing, like, Luz having so many glyphs always on hand and she's just spinning them in novel ways now, right? Even when she's bored, she can start making stuff float. Yeah, she discovered a new one. And then Amity's just... I mean, can make any 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 shape she wants, any type of control she wants. Why not? <laughs> I mean, it's it's just like in She-Ra and the Princesses of Power, where it starts off with the entire squad struggling to take on a team of horde soldiers, but towards the end there, any single one of them could solo that squad and make it look easy. The the hardest part is not killing them because Adora is that strong. Yeah, there's there's a lot of shows that have like um characters getting like visibly more powerful as the show goes along and I think that's always like a good form of visual storytelling, right? Cuz if you're just saying, "Oh, she's getting stronger. Oh, you're getting stronger. Oh, like these characters are more powerful now." Like it's not as impactful as actually seeing them waste enemies that gave them a hard time <laughs> in the past. Yeah, I I think given given some time and some tutelage, like if there were a Sith rule of two thing going on, I think Amity, learning under Darius, I, I think she would become Covenhead in not too long. Yeah, Amity, I think, could have very easily been the next Abomination Covenhead. I think that was probably, like, her goal in life, like, her aspirations. Yeah, her mother always wanted her to join the Emperor's Coven, but I think Amity only yeah, had originally. eyes for Abominations. I mean, that probably would have been her way into being into the in the Emperor's Coven. 
or into being the because she would have probably been picked. They don't pick the next people in the Emperor's Coven just from like the population or the not the Emperor's Coven, the Coven heads. So like that's a way to get into the castle and start gaining influence. Is it silly that I didn't realize until she said it explicitly that <laughs> Amity dyed her hair purple because uh, abominations are purple? The abomination colored. <laughs> I mean, we all kind of suspected it, but to hear her say it out loud, it's like, oh, okay. Yeah, I was like, oh, crap. She loves these things. Like, she loves <laughs> doing this. I, I never really thought about the fact that she chose this path, that it was the same path as her father, like that this is something personal to her. So, I don't know. I just saw the hair color change as sort of a change in spirit, right? Not being a mean girl anymore. Uh, you know, trying to be more independent of her family, but it actually in some way was her trying to connect with a, a part of her family that she kind of cares about more, which it's sweet to see her trying to yeah, develop this relationship with her father, which yeah, stands in contrast with with poor Luz who can't and oh my god that was such an accurate like depiction of a what 14 year old 13 year old who's just kind of like anxious and who's totally trying to say they're over their grief you know their their way of dealing with it that was yeah wow (laughs) oh my god and then the jelly legs afterwards yes yes like actually showing not just the psychological response but the physiological responses that I, i feel like I don't know, like maybe cartoons don't always depict realistically, right? Just actually not being able to stand. Yeah, like people when upset do more than just like cry. You know, there's like, like I said, the real good masterful like visual storytelling where these characters, there's a lot that that is communicated in the show that is not just like in the dialogue, right? Uh, These, this nonverbal kind of expression of emotion being very dynamic you know they really pulled like like these people have like you can tell that the people animating and writing this have like a really good understanding of like human body language and nonverbal communication and expressing it in their art like that's why i just think like there's so much art in science you know because you can't really separate the two you know, you can study empirically human behavior in like a psychology course and analyze data and stuff like that, but it doesn't mean anything until you can like make art out of it. Like how paleontologists would be nothing without people who draw dinosaurs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it has that feeling of it, it is like a study of grief in this very specific slice, right? Like, what does it look like? For mm-hmm. a young person who's years separated from the death of their parent. And what does it look like when your parent dies when you're younger? How how do your feelings complicate about that as time passes? What are the traditions that you practice and, you know, then apply it to some sci-fi or some mythical perspective? I mean, she's separated from her mom in an impossible way where she can't do this ritual. And her phone, which also still remains charged forever with no explanation and <laughs> keeps g- giving her alarms that she she just refuses to cancel for some reason like that's so fascinating maybe Anne traveled through dimensions and brought her a jar of lightning bugs 
something's keeping this phone alive. I don't know. That's the most fantastic element of this <laughs> of this show. But they have a fridge, right? Like, I mean, they have Pentagram. <laughs> you think the fridge has a USB charging port on it somewhere? Well, okay. So I wonder if that fridge can play Doom. Loose. <laughs> I wouldn't put it past Loose to have wrist electrocuting herself in order to jerry-rig an adapter from, like, a three-pronged American plug to whatever they have going on in the boiling aisles. That's, like, the kind of behavior I would expect out of Anne, like, from Amphibia. Like, life is not worth living without my cell phone. Luz seems like she would just let it go. Or maybe somebody... I don't know, maybe it was just pretty... Like, Ida brought a lot of human stuff, you know? So, maybe enough adapters connected to each other she can shove it into the positive and negative outlet and make it work i mean they sell solar powered cell phone chargers maybe ida just got one that's true maybe it was in her trash pile somewhere <laughs> i mean i would have figured the salt water would have destroyed it but you, you know like those it could be uh, one of the waterproof ones washed up on shore and they're just fine so yeah they could have been in like waterproof crates but yes yeah, I mean, a, a solar-powered thing makes sense. There's probably, you know, Luce is very creative when she can put her mind to something. She she managed to extract a lesson out of Ida's irresponsible behavior in the I Was a Teenage Abomination episode. That's some creativity. Yeah, where Ida was just like, eh, do whatever. And this is like, <laughs> not very thrilled about that. <laughs> but yeah, Luce, I mean, in a lot of Luce's knowledge of magic has been almost entirely self-taught. So she's definitely like a very capable person. And if like the answer was not that difficult on finding out how to charge her phone, she probably found it. Now you say she's self-taught, but when she has to identify snow by taste to defeat Bellos in the final episode, I'll be the one laughing. What? That was one of the things that Ida wanted to teach her when she was going out to learn wild magic. How to identify different types of snow? By taste. I mean, do you really need to taste it? Can't you just kind of look at it and touch it? Well, anyone can identify the snow by sight or by touch. Only an expert can taste it. <laughs> I think this is a wet snow. Yeah, and then King explains to you why it's wet. Oh god, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, while that conversation was happening, I did find the Bad Girl Kevin t-shirt um, on Etsy. Well, multiple people have made this shirt, so... Wasn't the Bad Girl Kevin on the Mystery Shack? Like, is that some other fan merch website? Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's official. Oh. They sold out of their $10,000 Abomatons. Well, if you want it for $10, you can buy it from someone who printed it themselves. Nice. Also, yeah. someone made a hunter one, sad boy coven. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so I, I just I just want to mention, uh, since we were talking about the episode summary before we recorded, I just want all of the listeners to think about how much bigger should the transcript of the episode be than the summary on the wiki? Because the answer for this episode <laughs> is approximately 61% bigger, the transcript is. <laughs> yeah, if you want, like, if you want a summary of any of these episodes, the wiki summary, like, just watch it. <laughs> it would literally take you longer to read the entire summary, depending on how fast of a reader you were, 
than to just watch the episode. I can't control F through a video file, Soren. Not yet. <laughs> yeah, but then just control F through the transcript at that point. That is usually where I end up going. Like, it's almost as long as a transcript and yet less useful. Not not to th- throw shade at the people who make fan wikis. In the wiki's defense, I, I haven't gone through the wiki and seen, like, under list of nicknames, like, things that people have only ever been called once. <laughs> that is a really weird... I love that. ...habit that you see in fan wikis. Like, I don't know who needs to have a list of all of their nicknames, but it's there. Well, when the bar is set as low as was called this one time, uh, they accumulate a lot of nicknames and we have to catalog them. (laughs) See, that's why the summaries, they're not summaries. It's a full catalog of... Every event that happened. For all time in history, if the episode fades away or they lose all the copies, the wiki's still there. (laughs) The wiki and the transcript. Yeah. (laughs) Well, yeah, just in case you want to read an alternative version of the transcript. Kind of like a novelization. (laughs) Uh, Now, a a weird observation that I'm sure very few people will relate to, but when the abomination balloon is carrying up Luz's, you know, flower that she created with her glyph, the, the musical cue in there really made me think of music I would expect to find in the indie dinosaur amusement park game parkasaurus the <laughs> game you and only you has ever played <laughs> oh yeah it's, it's not like thousands of people have reviewed it on steam or anything literally There's just thousands me. of us you Half know i'm sure that was the feeling they were trying to invoke uh <laughs> as camilla you know stares off sighs just barely smiles and uh you know we stay holding on the the image of the flower without ever seen, you know, Lucis Balloon magically showing up in the human world, which I think you're supposed to be anticipating. Yeah, you're just supposed to think about the Tyrannosaurus Rex that everyone is excited to be looking at. (laughs) Right, not contemplating just how far apart Camilla and Luz are right now, but how they are symbolically connected through uh, something sad, like someone's death. (laughs) Yes, you're right, it's definitely about dinosaurs. (laughs) I mean... The, the, the dinosaurs are creatures out of time. Loses a creature out of space. <laughs> oh, God. Here it goes. Yep. Yeah. Honestly, you're right, though. You're just only right. <laughs> Never miss. <laughs> what can I say? Luz isn't the only one who can extract meaning out of the meaningless. <laughs> oh. Like I said, the music just sounded similar, and I liked that. So, I, I, I did like... So, talking about the siblings for a moment uh first of all i like that uh ito was just like no i i'm not calling you by a name similar to mine you're just getting called the what what did she call him just like the brother (laughs) like that was terrible um but i like that edric had his own little side adventure of recognizing that he could really be a, a wild magic star that was nice it's also nice because they took away the veil of his little, um, whatever the magic gemstone is. His concealment his stone. concealment stone, yeah. Yeah, his little mustache. Yeah, it makes him so much more vulnerable and real. So, <laughs> you know, I know that has the purpose of uh, giving Amity whatever her quote-unquote disguise. 
<laughs> extremely weak disguise takes me back to Tiger Millionaire. <laughs> like <laughs> Lars somehow not recognizing Stephen. What are you talking about? Mighty Mittens is like eight feet tall. No, <laughs> it just looks like Amity. I don't understand. But uh, I don't understand. In fact, she's using two. She's using two concealment stones and she just looks like, I don't know. Yeah, exactly. A different outfit. She doesn't even, I don't know. Like, did the the designers have to think, well, if it makes her siblings look better, what's it supposed to do for her? (laughs) I don't know. She looks just different, mildly cooler. I, I don't know. I don't know if Amity's parents were the type of like, wouldn't you be buying all of your kids clothes so you know what they look like? Uh, Adalia doesn't care what they look like. She cares what other people think they look like. Oof. Yeah, so I don't know if, like, um, they are buying their kids' clothes, or if they're, like, having somebody else do it, because they're kind of wealthy. But if it were in, uh, Amity's normal wardrobe, there's a chance she could get recognized. I don't know. I mean, it's still a pretty (laughs) lousy disguise, in my opinion. (laughs) Right, okay, so yeah, it just... It is a distinct outfit that she doesn't own and has worn before. That is, that does meet the bar of a disguise. <laughs> um, but yeah, so anyway, it was nice seeing them vulnerable. And especially at the end, oh God, I, I can only rem- remember Edric's name. I can't remember. Emra? Yeah, Emra. It was so funny seeing Emra like beg for a t-shirt at the end. Like she kind of got left behind this episode. <laughs> yep. And this and this was such a good like a mini lesson <clears throat> for people because you know Edric's always been you know hanging out with Emera and you know she's she's always pushing him down. He's like, oh yeah, you know, like he'll get stood up by his date again, you know, stuff like that. But as soon as he gets out from under her, he gets a little bit of confidence, and now she's the one who wants to join the cool thing Edric's a part of. Yeah, it just like you know a sibling who just doesn't get a lot of attention. He got to prove himself on the field of battle. Well, at least of potion brewing. Those beescaping skills coming in handy, even if he can't make his animal companion sing. <laughs> I mean, that's pretty, that's rough. That's a, that's a tough lesson to teach an animal. Well, I mean, they have magic, so. <laughs> Fair enough. So what do you guys think the day of unity is? <laughs> <laughs> wow, if only we knew. Yeah, yeah. I still I haven't seen it. This was my first time experiencing this episode, so I'm enjoying feeling like an all-knowing <laughs> god ahead of, <laughs> ahead of time. What a weird way to watch these episodes. But uh, it's funny how still mysterious it is in this one. Like, they ultimately don't really learn anything from Wrath, except that it's going to be bad, which you could have guessed that already. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. What did Wrath say it was going to be exactly? Uh, said that the new world wasn't going to be very hospitable for magic users. Well, how would he know that, but not anything else? Uh, he just uh, heard around. Probably rumors, <laughs> whisperings. Grumblings. Yeah. Like, Bellos is planning something big. He can't do it all by himself, and the people who are high up enough to put a couple pieces together might not like the outline of the puzzle they're starting to put together in their brains even if they can't see the whole thing right they could have been complaining about some aspect of it like sure seems like this plan sucks but i guess i'm going along with it yeah i don't know because only bellos actually knew the extent of what what the spell was gonna do um yeah what was gonna happen so 
the rumors from higher up about like what it's actually going to be would come from his like second in command that he told the lies to. So if anything, Wrath should know the like lies Bellows told about what the day of unity was going to be. Unless he like, I don't know, had enough good guesswork from just what was going on, like how the coven heads who betrayed Bellows. I'm going to say, we, we do know that there are people who might have given straighter information to Warden Wrath than Bellows would have liked. So maybe he heard it from one of them. Yes, perhaps. Any other comments on this episode? <laughs> Go wrestling. Go wrestling. GC's favorite. <laughs> hey, it's no pencil break mania, but I'll take it. And I'm not even going to hold it to the standards of Tiger Millionaire. That'd just be cruel. <laughs> You'd be the cruelest cat in the jungle. Creature on the planet. <laughs> yeah. What did Tiger Millionaire do for you that this episode did not, GC? You know what? I mean, they used the chair to get to the belt instead of hitting someone with a chair. That's... It was a ladder. Oh, that's right. <laughs> Wait, doesn't someone have a chair in this episode? In that episode? Uh, I can't think of any. It's not a wrestling episode without there being a chair. Yeah. Lars gets up on top of his chair in a way that I'm not sure how well he could balance, but... <laughs> it's a much better memory than mine. I do remember him being all teeter-tottered on that, on that chair. Yeah. I mean, I guess Lars just knows how to find his balance. <laughs> Remember, we were originally a Steven Universe podcast. Spe speculating on how where well Lars balanced on his chair. Y'all, I'm pretty sure I actually won a Steven Universe trivia night that we had once, and now how far have I fallen? Hey, I won the first one by like a billion points. <laughs> <laughs> Destroyed. Yeah, actually I'm pretty sure the second time that it was played, I just you had a worse internet connection, and that was my only advantage, so Although GC literally asked some like bullshit. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, there were some where times nobody did had say the in episode eleven. <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty. That was pretty bull. Um, funny though. Uh, I need to go back and listen to that. One of my proudest moments. The unwinnable Steven Universe trivia. <laughs> hey, I, I wanted it to be interesting. Did you know the answers before you made them a question? Yes. That's a terrible metric. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, hold on, let me stop laughing. <laughs> anyway, guys, that's it for us on Reaching Out. Join us next week. Until then, I'm GC13. I'm Soren. And I'm David. <laughs> <laughs> that's right, you did only win because of my terrible internet. Later, everybody. Our opening and closing music is by Mark Soto. For more cartoon-related content, please visit LunarCeasefire.com. <laughs>